Mike Foster is the uh, founder and director of People of the Second Chance. And I remember asking this just a couple nights to some people. How many of you have ever needed a second chance? Okay. See, this is going to be a very appropriate message for you today. And I am excited. Mike speaks all around the nation, giving people hope for the knowledge of the love of God that can give you a second chance. Would you guys please welcome with me Mike Foster to the stage. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. Oh, we did have a good time, uh, the first service. I know this, but I, I'm, I'm, oh, thanks, Dave. Let's give it up for Dave. Come on. Love that man. Um, man, I, I, I got I to gotta tell you, I think I've got the greatest job in the universe because all I get to do is help people love their life more by connecting them to the God of second chances, to, to connect them into to his radical grace and his radical love for us. And, and just to uh, help people understand like their stories and their not so perfect stories matter to God. And that he's more than willing to not just give second chances, but to give like 800th, 899th chances. Because how many, not how many of you needed a second chance, how many of you needed an 899th chance? Yeah, me too. It's like, that's the reality of life. And that's the reality of who we are and the stories that we're on. And so I, I do lead an a organization called People of the Second Chance. And, and I like to think of our organization organization like this. Like we're this grace flavored snow cone on a hot judgmental day, right? And all we want to do is come in and whether people are judging themselves and their own, you know, being very self-critical or judging others, we want to come in and say, hey, there's a different way. There's a different way to live. There's a different way to experience God's freedom in your life. And that is by embracing his love and embracing what he has for our lives. And yet, so often we get, we get lost in, in our pain and in the trauma and our messy childhoods and, and all the things that have kind of not gone the way we wanted them to go. We sort of lose ourselves. And, and we start sort of being very critical about who we are. And, and that even impacts how we see God. And it definitely impacts how we see others. And, and so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of what it means to be people of the second chance. How do we embrace like what God truly has for our lives? Some of you may feel stuck right now. Some of you may feel very discouraged. Maybe you feel like God has given up on you. Maybe you've given up on yourself. And so this morning, I want to talk about how do we fully embrace all that he has for us? And it's probably easier than we think it is, and yet certainly requires some intentionality and some real work. So a couple months ago, I was at Disneyland with my family. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, who I've been married to for 20 years now, man, it's just been an amazing woman, and I'm so glad that she's still with me after 20 years. In fact, here she comes. I got to have you raise your hand. Just say hi. She's over there. That beautiful, angelic blonde woman over there is who I get to do life with and we have two kids and so the four of us went to Disneyland and we were uh, spent the whole day at the park and had you know did that whole Disney thing which I find completely exhausting by the way but my wife and my kids they enjoy it and so we were staying the night at the the hotel and we were, walked back to the hotel and we got into the elevator and 
we kind of moved in. And then there was another group that kind of hustled into the elevator and the doors closed. And I noticed like there's a couple Disney officials who were wearing kind of official Disney garb and they had a little name tags. And then I, then I look and there's this woman that is in the elevator with us. And I'm going, oh my gosh. And you're not going to believe who was in the elevator with us in that moment. It was Sandra Bullock. Yes. Sandra, I know it is awesome. It is totally awesome. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm trying to control my fanboydom. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, Sandra, I love you. I love you. Academy Award winner, you know, the, the Blind Side, which is one of my favorite movies. I, I was just going like nuts inside because I didn't want to go nuts outside because I didn't want to think she was, she, I didn't want her to think I was strange, even though I kind of am. But I was trying to contain myself. And so my wife is literally standing shoulder to shoulder next to Sandra. She's like touching Sandra. I'm like, oh, man. And so the problem is that even though my wife is standing right next to Sandra, she doesn't know it's Sandra. And so I'm, I'm trying to get my wife's attention. I'm like, honey, you know, the, the whole head nods, the, the eyes, like really... She's not picking up any of my signs whatsoever. Uh, and then, of course, my kids, I'm trying to get my kids' attention. Like, hey, kids, there's a movie star in this elevator with us right now. You're, like, feet away. You can literally touch the glory of Sandra right now. And, and, and you're missing it. Why? They're missing it because they're doing what teenagers always do, looking at their cell phones, right? They're looking down. And, and so the doors of the elevator, they open up to our floor. The foster family gets off. We have just missed the greatest moment of, that could have ever have happened to our family. Um, we get off. The door is closed. Sandra and her crew stay on the elevator and they go up to their floor. And I look at my wife and my kids. I go, did you see who was on the elevator with us? And they say, no, we didn't. And I said, Sandra freaking Bullock was on the elevator with us and you missed it. You're like, yeah. And they start screaming They're like, oh no, we missed Sandra. We didn't get to see Sandra. And, and, and then it was really weird. I don't understand this whatsoever, but then they started getting angry at me for not telling them that Sandra Bullock was on the elevator. They're like, oh my gosh, this is, so why am I telling you about Sandra? Let me tell you about the greatest moment of my life, but not my kids and my wife's life. Because this, I think we have these moments happening all the time in our stories where God is saying, I am right here. I am in this moment. I have grace. I have forgiveness. I have freedom. I have new beginnings. I have second chances. They're right there. You just have to look up. I have wholeness. I have purpose. I have meaning. All you have to do is sort of look to your left and see that I'm standing right with you. And so this idea of embracing our second chance, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a process. It's a journey that we're all on, but it's right here in front of us. And so this morning, I want to ask you, do you want to embrace it? Do you want to live from that place? Or do you want to just sort of rush through your life and miss the moment? Do you want to just sort of keep believing the things that you're believing about yourself and miss the freedom? 
Do you want to just sort of live in victimhood of the past and sort of miss what God wants for you right now? Do you want to maybe just live in the future and go, man, I, I just can't wait to get to heaven. These are people I call afterlifers. It's like, man, my life will be good once I finally die and go and be with Jesus. And it's like, yes, that's going to be great, but maybe God has something for you right now today too. And so this embracing the moment, embracing the second chance, embracing what God has for you right now today is so important if we're going to be and live as people of the second chance. And so much of this is based on our own perspective. How do you see your story? How do you see God? How do you see your friends and your family? How do you see the messy divorce? How do you see your crappy childhood? How do you see all that stuff? What is your perspective? And, and I want to encourage us to, this morning to put like a grace perspective on all of that. To put a hopeful perspective on all of that. To not live from our hurt. To not, not live with just from our pain and have that be the, the defining moment of your life where you spend the, the next 20, 30 years of your life like blaming somebody. That's not what God has intended for us. And then also it's not living a life where you just pretend like you're, you're okay. And everything's great. Nothing to see or hear, folks. Like if, I know Christians, we love, we love what I call the other F word. And that, that other F word is the word fine. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Fine, fine, fine. Fine, fine. Good, good, good. Isn't God great? And yet we never really deal with who we truly are. And so the perspective of, of just living in this place of hope living in this place that God is working on our behalf, that God has a plan for our lives, no matter what we believe or think about ourselves and think about our stories, that it matters. So I want to show you a couple slides just to kind of demonstrate how powerful perspective can be in our lives. So I want you to look at this picture, and I want you to tell me what do you see here. Do you, how many of you see a rabbit? Okay, how many of you see a duck? Yeah, well, actually both are in that picture. Some of you are going like, oh my gosh. Yes, both are in the picture, a rabbit and a duck. All right, what do you see here? Like, again, we're talking perspective. This next slide. I hate my job. <laughs> oh, really? Really? You hate your job, do you? It's like toothbrush. Oh, man, it's so hard brushing those teeth and all that, you know, crest toothpaste I have to deal with and those cavities and plaque and, and toilet paper is kind of looking at you going, oh, please. <laughs> a little perspective here, people. Or how about this? What do you see here? Is this a church or is this a bird? It, it's kind of both. And like, I always joke, like, can you imagine if you're the pastor of this church? You had just gone through this big building campaign and, and spent all this money building the building and you drive up one Sunday morning to the church and you're like, oh man, we built a bird. I can't believe we did this. Depends what you see. How about this slide? Do you see a mop? Or, or do you see an angry man with long green hair? Well, it's both. <laughs> you see both. That guy looks really ticked off. It's like, hey, it's too early for me. Do that song, do that song again to, to make me feel a little bit better. better. Um, how about this one? Do you remember this slide or this photo? This is a photo of Jennifer Lawrence at the Academy Awards a couple years ago. 
And this is when she was going to accept her Oscar, one of her most amazing moments, probably most, like millions of people are watching. And she walks up to the stage and she trips and she falls. And this is the photo of that exact moment. And so I want to ask you, like, is that Jennifer Lawrence's most embarrassing moment? Or is this a stunningly, stunningly beautiful, elegant Christian Dior ad? Depends how you see it. And so how do you see yourself? How do you see your story? How do you think God sees you? Are you living from a place of grace? Or are you living from a place of condemnation? criticism. And so I want to look at uh, the Bible. In Psalm 139, uh, we're going to look at David, who had this incredible relationship with God, who was completely present with the fact that he, his life was broken. David, who, who committed sin with Bathsheba and, and who wrote, like in, later on in the Psalms, he, he just writes this idea of, um, you know, God create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. He cries out to God to, to heal his heart, to forgive him. But he's also David, who, who was just like a man after God's heart. Like he, he, he lived fully in the presence of God. And, and God knew him, and David knew God, and they lived this amazing life together. And we pick it up here in Psalm 139, verse 1. It says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Like David's just saying, God, like you are with me. You know me. Like before I even say a word, you know what I'm going to say. And sometimes we feel when we think about our lives or, or our histories or our past or stories, we think like, well, God doesn't care or God's not there. Like you maybe will unpack maybe some of the things that didn't go right in your story. And, and we think like, God, you think God's going to say like, what? What were you talking about? I'm not sure what that, I wasn't, wasn't aware of that. Like God knows everything. And the beautiful thing and like the most powerful thought is that, that God knows everything about you and he's still crazy about you. Like, isn't that so cool? Like, he doesn't reject us. He doesn't, like, oh, man, like, woo, I know everything about you, and I don't want to get to know any more about you. It's just like, he is, like, saying, I know you. I have been with you. I, I, I get it. I've heard all of it. I've been there. I, 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 I know exactly what you're feeling. I know the words. I know the characters in your story. I know the valleys. I know the, the mountaintop experiences. I know all of that, and he still loves us. And there's this basic truth, and maybe you've heard this before, but, but there's literally nothing you or I could do that would make God love you less. He knows us, fully knows us, and yet fully accepts us. Verse 7, uh, David goes on, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. That means in your victories, in your mountaintop experiences, in your wins, in your promotions, in, in, in the times of your life and story where you're celebrated, God was there. 
But probably more importantly, what we need to be reminded of is this. He says, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Some translations use the word like, if I go to the pit of hell, you are their God. And sometimes we get really confused about this fact. Like maybe we believe that God is with us when we're doing well, but we forget that God is with us in the most trying, difficult moments of our life. The messy moments. The moments that we're embarrassed of or ashamed of. And maybe in those moments you started to believe something about God that he's not with you. That he's not, he doesn't care. And yet the truth of what we can read in God's word is that it is in your lowest moments, your most embarrassing moments, your most broken moments that is there and in that place that God is the closest, I believe. Where he is embracing you, loving you, cheering you on, saying, do not quit. I am with you. We will go from this place into a place of newness and freedom. I am making all things new. Trust me. Verse 9 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. That's David's life. So let's talk about your life and let's talk about my life. How do we have this relationship where we're just fully embodying God's grace and second chance in our stories? And the first thing that we need to do to become people of the second chance is we need to embrace our not-so-perfect stories. We need to embrace our not-so-perfect stories. I look at my own life and my own, my own journey um, with God and just through, through my, my own story, and there's been so many moments where I've just literally been to the depths of hell. I, uh, I've had ministry failures. I have had people betray me, friends who I thought were great friends who, who literally like out of nowhere stabbed me in the back. I have, I, I remember I invested into this business where I lost uh, over $100,000 of my family, my, my, my wife and I's money in less than 12 months. Like I thought this thing was a sure bet and we lost it all. One of the, another rock bottom moments of my life happened when I was 19 years old and I was on a skiing trip with our, our church youth group. And I had never skied before and, and so this was all new to me and, and so I was really excited about being invited and, and trying it out. And I remember the very first morning uh, we, we got, woke up early and, and got in the water and, and I was, was going to go first because I was the newbie and since I didn't really know how to uh, ski, I thought, well, the flat water and sort of the calmer conditions would be more conducive to me uh, learning how to ski. And so I remember being in the water, had my skis on, had the little rope thing, handle thing, and I said, hit it. They hit it. The boat started moving. And instead of, you know, popping up on the water, I was being drugged underneath the water. It's more like a, a submarine than a skier. And after a bit of this, I got really discouraged. I'm like, hey, tap, tap, I'm out. Like, I'm done with the water skiing thing. Maybe we'll try this again another day. And so I remember getting in the boat. My ego was a little damaged. I was a little feeling down and low. And, and my friend Kyle kind of noticed this, that 
uh, you know, I was a little low and I hadn't, you know, had my, had my moment on the water. And so he said, hey, Mike, you want to try driving the boat? Maybe that's a way that you can sort of redeem yourself in some way. And so we, uh, the others here got in the water. Kyle started the boat and we were kind of cruising along and he says, okay, Mike, your turn. So I kind of scooted behind Kyle. He scooted out of the way and now I'm driving the boat. And everything was going great. And then the skier motioned like this that he wanted to turn around and go the other way. And so I began to turn the boat, my very first turn ever in a boat. Um, I turned into what I thought was clear water, but it wasn't clear water. There was a skier from another boat who had dropped down into the water. And because of the speed that I was going, because of my inexperience, I wasn't able to turn the boat in time and I hit him. And it was in that moment, everything in life just changes. Everything that, you know, I thought was going this direction just gets flipped upside down. And, and, and it was in that moment that I realized how desperately I needed God. The, uh, as the boat came to a stop, I looked behind and saw the, the path that we had just traveled. And there's this skier who I had hit unconscious in the water with a pool of blood around him. They would medevac him out to the hospital. He would barely survive. Um, as, as the boat was, as my boat was coming at him, he, he raised his arm up like this to try to protect himself. And the propeller of the boat actually went down his arm and actually broke off in his head. The doctors would tell us later. It would just mutilate his arm. He would suffer uh, some brain damage. He'd have to relearn skills. And he would be on a very long journey of re rehabilitation. There would be a, a criminal case filed against me for reckless operations of a boating vehicle because of the, the damage that I had done in that day. And even though it was an accident and there was no alcohol involved, and the, the district attorney said, this is so serious that we can't just sort of overlook this. There'd be a, a lawsuit. And then on top of all, all of that would be the shame that, and guilt that I would feel about what I had done to that man. And I think all of us in our stories and in our lives have these moments where you know, we would just do anything to take it back, to change it, to rewrite history. But the problem is we can't. We can't go back and change the past. And, and I just call the, like, these are just the moments where no matter how hard we try, the toothpaste is not going back in the tube. And what do you do with that? What do you do with those moments? Well, one of the things that I did, unfortunately, was that I began to make up new rules about my life and who I was because of that accident. And one of the rules that I made up in my, in my mind was this, that because, Mike, of what you did on that river to that man, the, the water is now off limits to you. You will no longer enjoy the water. You will no longer enjoy being around the water. In fact, Mike, never go on the water again. Now, these are the rules that I didn't tell anybody. I just made it up in my head. And I, I just felt like, well, this is the way I'm going to honor him. This is, the, this is the penance that I'm going to pay for what happened on the river that day. And so I had this rule. And what was 
so interesting about the rules that anybody who knows me is like, I love the water. The water is therapeutic to me. Like you go to my house right now, I have fountains everywhere, like just gurgling and waterfall things. And, and I just love to be around the water. And you know what's so sad is that for 19 years after that accident, I lived by that rule. That I will no longer take pleasure or enjoyment from being around water. Now, you may have different rules about your story and different conclusions that you've come to about how you should live. Maybe you're this, like, well, hey, I have a failed marriage, um, went through a divorce. Uh, my new rule in my head now is um, I'll, never, I'll never find love again. I'll never uh, be loved by anyone again. Because I had my chance at marriage, I had my chance at, at a happy ever after, and it didn't work out, and so now I'm disqualified for love. Some of you may have situations where you've been betrayed by somebody. Somebody has really hurt you. Maybe it's happened as a child. Maybe it's happened in your business. Maybe it's someone here at church, and, and somebody has literally stabbed you in the back, and so you made up this rule. I will never trust anybody again. I will never open up my heart again because I don't want to be hurt. So I don't know what your rules are this morning, but that's what happens in these moments of pain and crisis and trauma. We start living under these new laws that we make up ourselves instead of living under the law of grace and letting God say, you know what, if you just let me, if you put that in my hands and all that hurt and all that pain and all that struggle, all those rules that you've made up, if you just put it in my hands, I'm going to point you to grace. I'm going to point you to second chances. I'm going to let you feel what life is supposed to feel like when we're living under the umbrella of forgiveness and of the cross. So number one, you, got, you just got to embrace your not-so-perfect story no matter what it, what, what it is. Number two, you got to watch how you talk to yourself. And this is a big one. You know, one of the reasons why we feel so stuck and so discouraged about life and so discouraged about our relationship with God is because of what we're telling ourselves. It's sort of like those rules on steroids. You know, we say a lot of words during the day talking with people, uh, but in our mind, we, we say thousands of times more words in our head. And, and inside our head, there's a, this narrative going on. And typically that narrative and the thing, our self-talk is not reminding us of how much we're loved by God, but it's actually reminding us of our failures, of, of what we're not doing right, or, or those moments in your past that you feel regret and shame about. It's those messages that are playing. It, it, and yet God tells us in his word in Philippians 4, 8, he says that we need to focus on the good, focus on what is holy, what is noble, what, what God wants us to focus on is this. And he says in 4, 8, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers and sister, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And yet we don't do that, do we? We think about what is broken. We think about our failures. We think we are driven by our fears and our insecurities. We tell ourselves we are unworthy of God's love. We tell ourselves we will never measure up. We tell ourselves, I could never do that. 
We disqualify ourselves because of our own self-talk. Nobody else in the world is saying it. Maybe you have a few critics who might be saying it, but for the most part, it's living in your head and you're believing it. And we got to blow up those, the negative messages and embrace the truth of who God says we are. Sort of like um, mixtapes. I don't know if you, uh, as a kid, used mixtapes. Some of the, the younger audience members are going, what is that piece of plastic that man with glasses is holding? But this is a mixtape, and I'm a child of the 80s, and I love mixtapes. I also love the A-Team and Fantasy Island and the Love Boat, okay? Like, that's, that's my childhood. That's how I roll. And so I used to make mixtapes, and I would put all my favorite artists, all my favorite bands on the mixtape, you know, like Madonna and Depeche Mode. And of course, Bon Jovi, okay, which is, yeah, I'm glad we got some Bon Jovi fans here. Um, you know, shot through the heart and you're to blame, darling, you give love a bad name. I play my part and you play your game, darling, you give love a bad name. Okay, that's, uh, so I put that song on there, obviously. Um, no, don't, don't applaud, please. Like, I'll keep singing if, if you keep applauding, all right? So don't, don't do that. But, so I had this mixtape and, and the thing with the mixtape, as I would play it over and over and over again, because it was my favorite songs, to almost where I wore it out. And by the way, for some of you who, again, still don't know what this antique is, it's sort of like the 80s version of the iPod. But the, the, the trick here is that uh, when your mixtape broke, you didn't take it down to the Apple store and have them fix it. No, when your mixtape broke, all you did was get out a number two pencil, right? <laughs> Stick it in there, boom, and you're good to go. Like, that's how that worked. That's really good. It's really... By the way, all of you who are clapping are the old people in the audience right now. It's like, yeah, just get out my number two pencil. I'm all good to go. So I, I get it. We don't have mixtapes like this and this kind of old school, but I do believe like we have these tapes that are playing in our head and in our heart, and they're not filled with Bon Jovi songs. They're filled with songs that remind us of our failures. And actually, they're songs and tunes recorded by the enemy of our life, Satan himself. That he, he, he's got this little studio in hell, and he's writing songs and lyrics and choruses and bridges, and, and he's, he's getting his best musicians all together, and he's going to have you play this tape nonstop. That, to have you doubt whether God loves you, for you to focus on the mistakes and the failures of your life, to, have, to bring me back to the boating accident. Like, that's his plan. That's what he wants to do. And yet God says, man, like, blow up the mixtape. Get rid of the mixtape. It's not helpful. You need to put in a new song, a new song that's, that reminds you of his love. Focus on what is noble, what is holy, what, what is good. What, what God is doing in your life, that is what we need to be listening to. And let me be very blunt. Let me be very honest with you in this moment. Because some of you are confused about this. Listen, there is nothing holy or sacred or righteous or God-honoring about beating yourself up. So stop it. Just stop it. It is not helping you. It is not helping the kingdom. It is not God's plan. Get rid of this mixtape, the negative mixtape, and replace it with the message of love. And that's what I want to close with, this idea of 
first, we have to embrace our not-so-perfect stories. We got to blow up these mixtapes and the negative messages that you're listening to about your life and your future. And number three, we got to embrace God's love for us, to fully embrace it, to let it penetrate the deepest parts of who we are, to let it, to let it just, just um, overflow in terms of how we see ourselves, how we see each other, how we see our relationship with God, to let love be the foundation of everything. They did an interesting study a few years ago, and they asked Christians, church people, just like you, they asked them this question, like, when God thinks about you and your story and your life, what is the overwhelming emotion that he feels towards you? And so they asked thousands of Christians, and the majority of Christians said that when God thinks about me and my life, the overwhelming feeling that he has towards me is not love, is not pride, is not joy, but the overwhelming feeling that God has for me is disappointed. Disappointment. And I think every single one of us know that to be true because we believe that too. That if you were to get really honest about your life, you get really honest about kind of how you see your relationship with God, I think you, many of us would feel like we're not cutting it, that we've disappointed God in some way, that we need to do more. Some of us think like God's just looking down at us and like, man, geez, I really thought she'd be farther along than this. I really hoped he had made, would have made better decisions than that. It's like, I'm not so sure I'm, 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 I'm going to be there for, for, for you for the future because I'm not sure you have one. Like, this is what goes on in our heads. Our, our views of God, our views of ourself are, can be so destructive. And so this morning, I want to remind you, and I want to just bring you a simple idea, that God is crazy about you. That God loves you. And it's not just a nice idea that preachers talk about. It's not just something that we sing in a song. It's true. And not only does God love you, but he likes you too. And maybe that's where we need to start. Just knowing that God likes you. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible, it's kind of my life verse. It's Romans 9, 25. And the message version of, of that verse says this, that God takes nobodies and makes them somebodies. He takes the unloved and calls them the beloved. So have you felt God's love? His incredible love? His deep, overflowing love for you? But if we want to live as second chance people, we need to let that penetrate every aspect of who we are. Shel Silverstein wrote a, a poem called uh, Fourth Place, and it goes like this, and I think a lot of us maybe feel this way. It's, it goes like this. I, I came in fourth in a beauty contest. Please let me cry a minute. I came in fourth in a beauty contest, and I was so sure that I'd win it. You can keep your ribbon that says fourth place. I don't care where you pin it. I came in fourth in a beauty contest, and there were just three of us in it. 
Yeah. And so maybe this morning you feel that you're coming in fourth place, God. And maybe you feel like, you know, there's, there's just three competing and I didn't even, I, I'm, I'm in fourth place. Maybe you feel disqualified. Maybe you feel like the outsider. Maybe you feel because of your past and your story that God can never love you or use you. All of it, all of those messages, lies, lies, lies from the enemy. Because the relationship that God wants with you says, you don't, you're not coming in fourth place. You're in first place, buddy. I love you. In fact, you're right where you need to be. I am with you. I am walking each day with you. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I like you. I love you. And now let's start living like that. Embrace your not-so-perfect story. Blow up those negative mixtapes and watch how you talk to yourself. And then embrace God's love for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get to be a part of your family that we get to be a part of your story. That you use broken and imperfect people like us. That, that we get to be part of just such good things that you're doing. God, I pray that this morning we will embrace freedom. That we will quiet the negative, self-loathing voices in our head. And that we feel the miracle the life-changing miracle of your love penetrating our hearts, penetrating our sadness, penetrating the discouragement, filling up our heart of fear with a new message of love. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for new beginnings and fresh starts. And we, most of all, we thank you that we get to be people of the second chance. It's in your son's name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks, guys.